Hello, this is the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, and today we're going to talk about polygamy. <laughs> uh, this topic is coming up uh, not because uh, I just really, really wanted to talk about it independently of uh, reality, but because a friend of mine who uh, is also into blogging and uh, has a podcast and uh, likes talking about issues of the day in light of uh, his Christian faith, uh, sent me a link to a video on Facebook the other day. Uh, it looks like it was yesterday. <laughs> uh, but it's a, a video that was posted by this web page or Facebook page for uh, extreme love. And... The uh, title of the episode of the video is Sister Wives, the Pastor Blessed with Two Wives. And the description says, I have been blessed by God to have two women that I love. A pastor and his two wives believe the Bible supports their relationship. With Tom, 60, and second wife, Reba, 19, expecting their first child together. So, you know, this... Uh, <clears throat> video gets sent to me this week and I didn't even have to watch it I just read the the title of the video didn't even have to read the description the pastor blessed with two wives and I immediately a red flag went up and I thought what you know <laughs> uh, qualifications for overseers and deacons that Paul writes to both Timothy and Titus in the New Testament. Both places says one of the qualifications, the man must be the husband of one wife. That's pretty explicit, pretty clear, uh, and yet some people uh, seem to have a, a problem with that or, or don't think that applies to them. Paul doesn't make it optional. He doesn't say uh, he should be the husband of one wife. He can be the husband of one wife. Uh, Paul writes he must be the husband of one wife. And so, uh, you know, that that uh, I think raises a number of uh, implications. Uh, my wife, Lauren, pointed out, we were discussing this the other day. Uh, she pointed out that, you know, that could be talking about uh, – uh, believer who's been divorced you know if, if a man has divorced a wife and then he remarried and divorced and remarried uh, you know it could be that that is uh, that that, that disqualifies him according to what uh, Paul is writing here uh, I think the most straightforward interpretation of that is uh, you can't be an overseer or a deacon in the church if you are polygamous uh, and this, you know, there, there's a uh, implication to that, and, and that is that uh, you can still be a Christian and be polygamous. And, uh, you know, anybody that, that, whoa, hey, you know, they get really upset at, at hearing that said, um, I encourage you, go to your Bible, uh, find where there is a broad uh, prohibition on polygamy and and I know from experience from discussing this with people someone's going to say 
Now, wait a second, Garrett. God made Adam and Eve. He only gave Adam one wife. Obviously, his ideal, his intention is that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that it's monogamous. It's, it's for life, that they're faithful only to one another. There's lots of verses that talk about that. And that's a, that's a good point, and uh, I'm not disputing that at all. Uh, God's uh, ideal is evident, I think, in Adam and Eve, and, uh, and also in uh, you know, Paul's qualifications for overseers and deacons. Obviously, there is something uh, more respectable about having only one wife. That is closer to the ideal, and the ideal is one man, one woman, uh, committed faithful to one another, married for life. Uh, you know, that also, there's a, an implication there, too. You know, we can infer from that being more respectable that it is uh, a bit less respectable. There is something less glorious or less uh, adhering to the ideal for uh, a man to have more than one wife. You know, because that's those are your options, right? <laughs> uh, you could be the husband of one wife. You could be the husband of more than one wife. Uh, I suppose also you could be the husband of no wife. I, I don't think Paul was saying that uh, an unmarried man can't be a pastor or an overseer or a deacon, if you want to use the original language or the uh, you know, exact wording that is in in my translation anyway. Uh, but uh, they're, they're, they're also, too, I mean, we can uh, talk, and I think it's, it's timely to talk, uh, to the, the Roman Catholics. And, uh, you know, anybody that believes that celibate priests, celibate clergy, that that makes someone more holy. You know, that's, that's like taking the, the husband of one wife, and uh, it's like, well, I'm going to try and top that. You know, I'm going to be even more holy than what uh, Paul's qualifications for overseers and deacons were. And we're I'm just going to have no wife. You know, hey, how about that? You know, top that. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the Catholic Church, I think, really got it wrong. Um, they took something, and this is, the, this is part of my caution, uh, to, to going too far, running too far with uh, what Paul writes about being the husband of one wife for overseers and deacons. Uh, the, the Catholic Church clearly takes uh, something that is written by Paul where he says, I, I would that all men uh, were as I am. And Paul writes as a, an unmarried man. And he, he talks about how there are some advantages. There are some ways that it is easier to uh, be a minister of the gospel. It's easier to have uh, this you know traveling ministry, and that makes sense. I, I can uh, <laughs> I can attest even just to try and get ready to go <clears throat> the uh, 20 miles to Savage, Montana, on a Sunday morning to go to church. Uh, just what a production that is when you're trying to get. Uh, yourself and a wife and seven children <clears throat> out the door all at the same time, all fully clothed and in their right, right minds. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it is uh, a production a lot more complicated than if, you know, let's say on a, a work day where I'm just going to work and it's just me and I'm just getting dressed and, you know, I, I, it's so much simpler. Uh, and, you know, it makes sense. You know, if you're, if you're, 
doing a, a ministry where you're traveling all over the known world, preaching the gospel to Gentiles uh, and and everybody. It really simplifies things if you're traveling light. <clears throat> And if Paul, if he was blessed with, uh, you know, a, a contentment, uh, a circumstance of uh, singleness, God did not bring a wife into his life for whatever reason, and uh, and that was his calling. Well, great, you know, uh, <laughs> bully for him. Uh, but clearly, uh, the Roman Church uh, exceeded its bounds, went beyond its uh, rightful authority in requiring that men and women who wanted to be ministers or wanted to serve God, uh, that they be celibate, that they take vows of celibacy, that they not be allowed to have uh, marriage. You know, marriage is a good thing God made. It is not some uh, sinful thing. And uh, and Paul writes in his qualifications for an overseer, overseer and a deacon, they must be the husband of one wife. Well, that certainly tells us <laughs> you can be married, <laughs> to, you know, and and be a, an overseer or a deacon in in Christ's church. And in fact, you know, as Paul writes uh, his reasoning for uh, you know what what qualifies a man and what disqualifies a man to be uh, you know one of the, the the holders of those offices in the church, he says, you know, if he's is not able to keep his home well, if he's not able to manage his family well, how is he going to be able to manage the church? Uh, if you if you look at him in his marriage, you see how he treats his wife. You look at him with his children, you see how he treats his children. And if he is just abusive or if he's negligent and he just is out to lunch, uh, why would you put him in charge of the church and then he's going to be abusive or negligent uh, with the church as well? We don't want that. So uh, So there's that. Uh, and then there is again, you know, this this video that uh, was sent to me uh, yesterday about the pastor uh, blessed with two wives, and I quote. And I just I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking he clearly has not read <laughs> Paul's qualifications for an overseer and a deacon, uh, or else he doesn't believe they apply to him, or else. Uh, he just doesn't care or, or whatever, um, you know, and that's, that's not atypical uh, in this day and age. I uh, once wrote to a pastor of a church that we were going to and asked how he was qualified to be a pastor uh, based on several of the things that Paul writes to Timothy and Titus. And I, I had observed we had been attending his church for a couple of years and there got to be a little bit of back chatter uh, behind the scenes that I was uncomfortable with. I felt convicted that, hey, we shouldn't just be uh, you know, talking about him if we have a concern or a problem, you know, we should be going and asking him, you know, hey, this, this is what the Bible says. Are we misinterpreting it? This is what we observe in your life. Are we misunderstanding uh, what it is we've seen? Can you give us a little bit of the, the bigger picture? And then also, too, like, hey, if everything is hunky-dory, like, we should not be uh, speaking ill of this pastor uh, or or what have you. I mean, we should be showing respect. Uh, but if there is cause for concern that things are not being handled in a biblical way, then the biblical thing we are responsible to do, we have a duty, an obligation to do, is to be upfront and direct about that. Not going around behind the scenes, uh, not back chatting, not gossiping, not just being resentful, but having uh, having some guts 
right? And somebody needs to have the guts to tell this guy who is, uh, he's an ex-con, by the way, also. Uh, I finally just watched the video this morning. Figured I ought to before I go and do a podcast about it. I should at least watch <laughs> watch the video, not just read the headline. Uh, but he, he is an ex-con, and he's somebody that got into trouble. He grew up in uh, Cleveland and got into a life of crime and uh, spent a number of years in prison, spent a number of years in solitary confinement. Uh, he was a violent criminal. And, uh, you know, that is not at all one bit to say that uh, God can't uh, redeem him uh, or that God can't uh, use him uh, to do ministry or to reach people. Uh, but um, not that notwithstanding, uh, some Christian somewhere needs to uh, work up the courage to uh, read to him the qualifications Paul gives for overseers and deacons in Christ's church <clears throat> because they apply here and uh, and he is not uh, ad adhering to them. I don't know if he took his second wife before he became a pastor. I don't know if he, um, you know, I, I just don't know. The The video doesn't go into that. Um, there, It starts, it opens with this pastor talking about uh, the many men in the Bible who uh, had more than one wife, and uh, I think that's fair game, uh, you know, because because here's the thing, right? I mean, he is not going to be uh, the last. I'm sure he's not the first who has pointed out, uh, hey, <laughs> there's all these men in the Old Testament who have more than one wife. What do we think about that? <laughs> uh, and rather than just dismissing that and saying, you know, I, that makes me really uncomfortable. And I think that's kind of taboo in our culture. So let's just not go there. Uh, you know, rather than respond like that, it behooves us to study to show ourselves uh, approved workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We should study God's word cover to cover and endeavor to know what it says and what what it says means <clears throat> uh, to look at that objectively, to not look at that uh, where in, in such a way where we invalidate the commands of God uh, by the traditions of man, to not look at that where we then bring our own uh, presuppositions from outside of the scriptures in and then judge the Bible. Because that's one thing I, I've run into uh, over years of debating with friends that. Uh, were atheists or agnostics, uh, and in some cases, <clears throat> friends that had grown up in the church that I knew from Bible study, uh, I knew them from youth group, I knew them from church, and then as they, uh, you know, got out of high school and started work life, or they went off to college, then they became agnostics or uh, atheists, and uh, as that happened. And as I kept in touch with them, and I would see them posting things uh, hostile to uh, Christian faith, Christian belief, uh, you know, not just contrary, but but sometimes just outright hostile, you know, I would try and engage in the discussion. And, uh, you know, that was uh, a recurring thing that I found was that they, uh, for one, had not been raised to engage questions like this. You know, hey, why does it say this in the Bible? Uh, they they weren't taught to engage those those questions in an intentional, thoughtful, uh, honest, deliberate, systematic, 
uh, relentless way. Uh, and then when they were confronted with them, you know, as they entered secular colleges or secular workplaces, and then they encountered people that were not Christian, they were unchurched, and they were intellectual. Uh, my my friends, one by one, they just folded uh, under the pressure of uh, questions, rather than uh, rising to the challenge, rather than saying, "Hey, you know what? I don't know, but I'm going to study that, and I will get you an answer." Uh, you know, and and they, it it bothers me so so much. I it really really pains me that uh, they didn't feel like the churches that. Uh, they had been to were the kinds of places that they could have gone back to and said, hey, what about this? I'm being asked this question about my faith. What do I say? You know, they didn't feel like they could come back and they would be met with uh, scholarship and uh, deep, honest uh, consideration for those questions. They felt, and I think rightly, that if they would have brought those questions back to the church, they would have been scolded and they would have been uh, given some kind of a pat answer, some kind of an easy answer for uh, getting them to go away quickly because the Christians that they had known uh, didn't want to think about those things and were intellectually lazy and uh, intellectually dishonest and weren't reading their Bibles and didn't want to have to read their Bibles and they didn't want to be exposed for not having read their Bibles and not having thought about these things. And so then the, the easy thing just becomes uh, you know, erecting uh, a fortress of rules that you don't know where they came from and you don't know why they're there, but they're designed to keep you from uh, sin and folly. And uh, even if they are, are based more on the traditions of man than on the commands of God, and even if they interfere with and obstruct the commands of God, that's just what we're going to do because that's just the way it's always been. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, and as a result, uh, you know, I, for the past, uh, what, 13 years, 14 years since I graduated high school, and have had uh, these ongoing discussions with uh, friends, and a number of them, they just, they, they said, no, I'm, you know, thanks, Garrett, but uh, you're one man against uh, the world, and we're just going to go with the world on this one. Uh, you know, I have oftentimes felt extremely alone in trying to engage these questions in a meaningful way uh, and be be intentional, be honest, be pur purposeful in answering those questions uh, because there should be, right? That's that's what we are called to do. You know, I, I grew up in Awana programs where, you know, we're memorizing the scriptures, uh, but then you, you get older and then you need to understand what the scriptures mean. You know, there was a, a pastor not a pastor, I'm sorry, he was a professor, but he was preaching uh, one time at a church in Cedarville, Ohio, back when my wife and I, we were attending uh, Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. And I visited this church, uh, didn't attend there regularly, I think it was a Baptist church, uh, but visited one Sunday, and one of the local Bible uh, professors, I think he taught Old Testament, he was a very uh, well-liked, very popular Old Testament literature uh, professor at Cedarville University. He was preaching <clears throat> that Sunday. He was preaching about uh, meditating on God's word. And there was a Bible verse that he quoted that I have since uh, forgotten the reference to, and I couldn't even paraphrase it for you now. 
But he was talking about meditating on God's word. And he was explaining the, the roots and the history of that word meditate. And how, uh, you know, the, the image that we should have in our minds when we think of biblical meditation, it is not sitting with our legs crossed, facing the sun, our eyes closed, uh, <clears throat> going, um, you know, uh, fingers, middle fingers and thumbs together. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's not, that's, uh, that's what maybe the world thinks of as meditation in, in a Buddhist sense. You try to just embrace nothingness or whatever. Uh, but you know, meditation in the biblical sense, he, he says, you know, think of it like a lion gnawing on a bone, trying to get every last little bit of meat off of it. That's what biblical meditation is like. And that just really stuck with me. And, and he said something else too. He says, you know, if you are reading your Bible past when you're actually thinking about the meaning of what uh, your reading is, <laughs> and what what does that actually mean? Not just what is it? Not just looking at scanning visually the picture of the words on the page, but actually think about the meaning. Meditate on this word day and night. Think about what it actually means, and, and what does that uh, what does that look like lived out? You know, if you believe this, what are you going to live like? How are you going to act? How are you going to think? How are you going to feel? How are you going to talk? What is your life going to be like as a result? Because this this word, God's word, should transform us. You know, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we renew our minds uh, by reading God's word and, and looking at uh, the only, I believe, the only reliable, absolutely true, uh, communique that uh, exists. You know, and then that becomes God's word because God uh, knows everything and he's totally perfect and good and he does not lie. In him is no deceit and he changes not. Uh, because it, this is God's communique and he has protected it and preserved it, made sure that it came down faithfully, that faithful men were entrusted to keep it. Uh, we can judge everything else that claims to be true and good against God's word. And if, if anything else outside of God's word claims to be good and true and it contradicts what God says, then we can know <clears throat> that uh, that thing is uh, not good. <laughs> uh, you know, when you're when you're trying to determine if you've been just given a, a counterfeit uh, bill, uh, you don't just uh, say, well, there's there's so many ways to counterfeit uh, a dollar bill and throw your hands up. You know, you, you look at the real deal, right? And then you compare and contrast the real deal against what you've just been given. And then that's how you decide if what you've been given is is valuable or if it's a, a counterfeit, if it's worthless. And if it's worthless, you throw it away and then you don't trust money from the person who gave you that uh, moving forward. But if it's the real deal, then, hey, cool. Okay, great. More, bring it, you know, <laughs> uh, keep it coming. Um, you know, so also with truth claims, right? But, you know, one thing that I found in debating with, with many atheists over the years and reading Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, is this propensity to bring an outside standard of uh, right and wrong and, and then judge 
God's word against that outside standard. And, uh, you know, it's, it's ironic because the atheist will say, you know, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And atheists, despite uh, all of their uh, often uh, scientific trappings, <clears throat> can be very foolish sometimes and, and very unaware of themselves and how foolish they're, they're being, how, how they're defeating their own arguments. But you might have uh, an atheist uh, objecting to the morality of the Bible, who is God, to judge right and wrong. Uh, there is no such thing as right and wrong. Anything goes. We're just animals. Uh, you and me, babe, we're just mammals. Let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Uh, you know, why not? Because if we're just descended from apes, then uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, that is the philosophy of, of atheism, of naturalism, uh, of secular humanism. And, and yet, you know, for all of the truth being relative and there being no absolutes, uh, for all of the uh, rejection of a universal moral standard of, of right and wrong, uh, they apparently do believe that there is a moral standard when they judge God in the Bible uh, against it. <laughs> uh, and they, they say that he's corrupt or he's, you know, Richard Dawkins uh, had you know, extremely blasphemous things to say about God in uh, his various talks and his books, God Delusion being the only one that I've read. Uh, but he, you know, he called him uh, genocidal and a monster and, and things like that. And it's like, now wait a second, you know, what is your standard that you're bringing in from outside of God's word? And then you're going to judge God. You're going to sit in judgment of God. You're you are a son of the devil. Uh, right now, if you think that you can put your throne above the Most High and then you're going to sit in judgment of him, really? Uh, God help you. You, you, <laughs> you are an arrogant fool uh, if, if no one else is. If that is not the very definition of, of uh, arrogance, of pride, and of folly, then nothing is. And that is what got Satan, that's what got Lucifer, the light bringer, uh, kicked out of heaven <clears throat> is because uh, he wanted to uh, put his throne above the most high. And uh, and so also, you know, we cannot expect uh, to have peace with God and to please him if we are sitting in judgment of him. Now, that is not at all to say uh, that we are forbidden to ask and to say, hey, God, I don't understand what this is about. Why? Why is this happening? Why is there evil in the world? Why do you allow uh, those who are unjust to profit and to live well? Why do you allow them? Why? When are you going to do something about this, God? Why did you let this happen to me? Why did you let that happen to this good person over here that I love? Uh, you know, and and far from avoiding those kinds of questions, I, I think this is one of the things that testifies to the the goodness of God's word. Is it tackles them head on and it, it presents them in very real terms. It doesn't shield the believer who is studying uh, diligently and reading the book cover to cover and paying attention to what the words actually mean, not just the, the appearance of them, not just the sound of them. Uh, you, you know, you, you have the whole book of Job for crying out loud. You have the book of Ecclesiastes uh, in the Old Testament. You've got Job asking, why? Why? Why is this happening to me? I I thought that I was living a faithful life. God, why? 
did you allow all of this bad stuff to happen to me? I, why are you punishing me? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't. Why? You know, Job is very, very real about it. And, you know, we could say at the end of the book that God uh, rebukes him. Some people say that. I, I'm not uh, I'm not so sure. I think it, you, the way I prefer to look at it is that God answers Job uh, by, by shifting his perspective. You know, I think God is extremely patient, and the scriptures attest to that. Uh, God is slow to anger. Uh, he's not wanting anyone to perish, but he's he's a loving father. He wants us uh, to to understand him rightly, to have a right relationship with him, to come to repentance. And he's calling us like like a loving father to hey, please don't do that. That that hurts you. That hurts others. It disrespects me. Don't do that, please. But you know God's response to Job is, "Where were you again when uh, I created everything? I'm sorry. Uh, did I ask you for advice when I was putting the universe together? Like, <laughs> you know, tell me, like, how how did I do that? Well, you, you were there and you you watched me do it, right? And, and you were giving me counsel on on. Uh, oh no 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 not not that way, you know." And, and so go, God goes on like that for a while. And I think that is to say God has a sense of humor as well. You know, he's patient and he has a sense of humor. And I, I think that comes through. Certainly that's the way I read God's response to Job and, and how God responds to other people. He gets upset eventually. And uh, boy, howdy. I mean, you imagine. Can you, you can't imagine anything more terrifying than the one who created everything being upset. Uh, that is why. The scriptures say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? I think so. Uh, <clears throat> you get also, um, you know, in, into these questions of, you know, why did God allow slavery in the Old Testament? You know, I've heard that one a time or two in, in our day and age where slavery has, uh, you know, the, the Civil War, the American Civil War, uh, coloring our perceptions. And we're thinking of, you know, black people being put in chains, uh, brought across the ocean, many of them dying on the trip. Uh, then once they come here to America, being treated uh, in horrible ways, treated like animals. Not allowed to uh, learn to read, not allowed to, uh, you know, eventually drink from the same fountains as white people, you know, being treated just horribly, uh, being divided and split up and sold and, and sent in different directions once they uh, got married and had children, you know, being treated like cattle. And, and, and the evil way that they were treated as a race, black people were treated as a race, uh, you know, that that is then what's thought of when someone reads about slavery in the Old Testament or in the law that God gave to Israel. And, and then somebody's saying, <clears throat> you know, if God is so good, then why did he allow slavery? Why didn't he, why didn't, why wasn't the Emancipation Proclamation delivered by Moses? Why did it have to wait until Abraham Lincoln? And, you know, that's a question, right? Like, and maybe, you know, depending on who's asking it, you might say, 
I don't have time for this. I don't think that they're really asking because they want to know. If you really just if you're if you're called to be a Christian, then you're not going to care about things like that. You're not going to be concerned about it. You're just going to get over it. You just you know trust that God knows. You know, okay, you know those are are easy things to say. Uh, certainly, much much easier than doing the study, uh, asking the question. Uh, you know, and, and maybe not everybody's called to do the study and say, hey. What about slavery in the Bible? Right? And we can't study everything all at once. And you might say, you know, that's a, a great topic somewhere down the line. But right now, I am feeling called to study this. This is the more pressing uh, topic issue for my day, for my life, uh, for my family, whatever. And that's fine. Uh, but just don't go scolding someone else if as a part of apologetics as a part of outreach and ministry they're going to try and go to the bible and ask hey what about slavery what does it say and what does what is the the meaning of what it says and what can we understand about the the justice of god and how he uh, sees the way we treat one another the way we orient our lives the way we organize our communities and our society what is his perspective on that? What is justice? Uh, you know, because I think here's here's the bottom line. Here's what I'm getting at, right? If you've been scratching your head for 32, 33 and a half minutes, uh, <clears throat> you know, we don't come to God's word and say, I'm going to bring an external uh, morality, an external standard of justice, and then judge God and judge God's word by that standard because then we're following we're following uh the wrong spiritual example we're following uh, lucifer uh you know instead we should be coming to god's word in whatever topic we're studying and asking god to tell us what justice is and then we go and then we judge uh, other situations and other people's statements against that right not the other way around uh, that is that makes all the difference in the world as to whether we're going to understand God's word, uh, whether we're going to live uh, a life that uh, pleases God. You know, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, not just faith in a nebulous Disney uh, sense. You know, just believe, uh, you know, and, and uh, faith and, and pixie dust and, and all that. But you know, faith in what God has said, taking God at His word believing that he is true and that he is just. And even where we don't understand uh, all of the mechanics of it, and that's okay too for us to not understand uh, who can know the mind of the Lord. I mean, he is infinite. He is by definition, <laughs> the category that he is in is by definition uh, impossible for us to fully comprehend because he is infinite and we are finite. He is perfect, and we are not perfect. He knows everything, and we really don't. <laughs> in case you, in case you didn't know that, uh, now you know that because that—that's how much you didn't know. Is that you didn't know that we didn't know everything? Maybe. Uh, anyway, I'd like to approach this topic of polygamy now with thirty-five uh, and a half, thirty-five and three-quarter uh, minutes. Or I'm sorry, thirty-five. And Two-third minutes. Now three-quarters. Uh, 
I'd like to approach that with, with the time that we've got left, uh, having qualified this. And, and I hope, you know, if you didn't <clears throat> listen to the qualifications before now, uh, the, the disclaimers that I made, uh, you know, please go back and listen again to the first half of this podcast. And if you come down the road or if you say it behind the scenes or whatever, uh, you know, you're objecting to what, what follows or what I say here in the, the latter half of this podcast about polygamy, where I'm getting specific. If you skip forward to the section where I'm actually saying, hey, what about polygamy? Uh, and then you take something I said out of context, not considering the totality of this podcast, uh, I'm not going to uh, take you seriously in trying to hang me with anything I say here. <laughs> uh, take all of it together or take none of it. Uh, or, you know, best yet, just go read what the Bible actually says, cover to cover, and, and then we'll talk about it. But uh, in any event, I, I want you to consider a few things here regarding polygamy. I had a uh, interesting conversation here, uh, oh, maybe six months ago, seven, eight months ago, uh, with uh, someone working for One Oak who I was witnessing. And he was uh, calibrating these gas meters and uh, making sure they were reading correctly the gas that was coming off of this uh, oil and gas well going into the pipeline, making sure everybody was going to get paid the right amounts, uh, etc. And then my job that day was uh, to watch him and make sure he did it correctly. He went through all the steps. And, uh, and this gentleman, I, it was the only time I've ever met him. Uh, haven't seen him since. But uh, we, we had a great conversation. And uh, you come to find out, you know, he, he starts talking about uh, political issues and social issues and a little bit about his faith. And, you know, and then I'm able to respond and, and say, well, no, I mean, I here's and kind of finishing some of his sentences about what's uh, what's wrong with the world and what's broken in society and what uh, what's needed. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of allusions to faith. And <clears throat> at one point, I, I mentioned, he asked, I think, he asked if I was uh, married, had any children. I said, yeah, you know, my wife and I are, are uh, actually, we have six children. And I think this is before we got pregnant with uh, our seventh. Uh, he says, whoa, six children. Are you, uh, you know, <laughs> I said, no, we're not Mormon. No, we're not Catholic. Uh, we're, we're, he's like, oh, what, what are you? And I said, well, we're just Christians. He's like, well, no, I, I get that. What, what, but what, what kind of Christians? And I said, well, you know, we're we're, we're just Christians, and we go to uh, you know Christian Missionary Alliance uh, Church. And uh, he says, oh, well, I'm Mormon, and uh, and I uh, actually I can't remember what it was. It was he was uh, some kind of a you know adult Sunday school teacher, uh, something like that. Anyway, at his temple. Uh, but we got to talking about um, faith and about social issues and about cultural issues and about politics. And, uh, you know, he asked me just out of the blue, and he just had a very uh, blunt, very direct um, personality, very intelligent guy. Uh, actually, he had worked for, uh, oh, what was it? I know he'd worked for Hewlett Packard for a while, for a number of years, uh, did really well there had a, an extensive computer science uh, background. He's probably 
50 or 60 years old. And, uh, I mean, he, he was in computers for decades and decades. Uh, but, um, you know, he asks me out of the blue, he says, you know, you don't mind me asking, what do you think of polygamy? You know, and he's asking as a Mormon, right? And, uh, I, <laughs> uh, I, I love people like that. Um, you know, not not people that ask specifically about polygamy, but people that ask big questions like that, just bluntly. You know, uh, that opposed to, uh, hey, what do you think of this weather? Right? You know, I'm just like, ah, you know, I'm about to fall over and die uh, if one more person just says, yeah, hey, how about this weather? You know, uh, but somebody asks some offbeat question about, you know, I, I had one guy. He's he's the director of of uh i think he's i think that's his position i don't pay attention to titles very well i guess um anyways he has something to do with eastern montana bible camp uh his name's larry and uh he saw me at church he was coming to to speak uh for awana tell the kids about summer camp and uh he he saw me just kind of standing there afterwards and everybody's packing up and, and milling about getting ready to leave and he says hey garrett I'm like, what? He's like, I got a question for you. And I'm like, what's that? He's like, do you think Donald Trump could possibly be the Antichrist? That <laughs> just, I mean, and you've got to know Larry. Like, Larry is, uh, he's got a very dry sense of humor. He is, uh, he's a funny guy. And, and he was, I think, trying to get a little bit of a rise out of me. Uh, but you know, on the other hand, like, even though he was, half joking i think he was uh he was also like hey let's let's actually talk about it you know let's talk about the the pros and the cons of that position let's analyze it but it was such an offbeat question that you just don't you know it's it's so far removed from hey how's the weather you know in your part of the woods uh and and i love it but anyway going back to this mormon he asks me you know so what do you think about polygamy and uh and then he just kind of you know, he stepped back and and folded his arms and just looked at me and, and waited. And I, I kind of smiled. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> uh, I've been meaning to actually work up the courage one of these days. You know, I've written about all these controversial uh, topics for the blog. I've written about global warming, about abortion, about the LGBT, about public education, even. Uh, and boy, howdy, you know, talk about sacred cows. Public schools are sacred cows, uh, even in the church, apparently. But anyway. That's a topic for another day. Uh, you know, poly I told him, I says, I've been trying to work up the courage to write about polygamy for a number of years. And I just know it's going to be explosive if I say, hey, you know what? Here's what the Bible actually says. And, uh, you know, then if we reason from that and just totally, you know, consider it uh, irrelevant for the facts of the case. Uh, you know, what the popular attitude is towards it today or what tradition says about it today. Uh, you know, just let's, you know, being able to discuss that objectively would just have me tarred and feathered. I'm sure if I had, you know, whoever is, uh, <laughs> whoever's tried to make the case in the past that Garrett, you know, he just, he, uh, he needs to knock it off. Uh, they would point to that polygamy thing if I ever wrote it or, or said anything about it as uh, you know, proof positive that they were right. But 
uh, you know, I told him, I says, you know, when I look at the Old Testament, uh, I see a lot of uh, the the characters that walked with God, that God had relationship with, that God called, that God used uh, to bring his message, uh, to do this or that, to lead his people. I see a lot of them with uh, multiple wives. Uh, you know, the most famous case I can think of, you've got King Solomon, who writes uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and uh, a number of uh, psalms, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you've got King Solomon. And, and what does it say about him? He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Uh, I think any reasonable person would say that's a little much, uh, even if you could kind of entertain uh, the idea that maybe polygamy is not uh, a mortal sin. Uh, I think I think we all could agree. <laughs> that guy just didn't know when to quit. Uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines is a little bit much. Uh, but isn't it remarkable that uh, here he is writing the wisdom literature, the, the lion's share of the, the wisdom literature, with the exception of uh, the book of Job, I believe. I believe Job is considered wisdom literature as well, and I don't, I don't, uh, don't know of any case that's been made that he wrote that one too. But uh, you know, he writes the wisdom literature, and we quote that wisdom literature in the church as Christians. But if any man like Solomon were to come in and try to fill the pulpit, or uh, you know, speak in, in Sunday school, teach Sunday school, or whatever. Uh, you better believe there'd be a long line of people having an unholy fit about what is wrong with your church that you're going to let a man like that teach. Are you kidding? Like that's ridiculous. And yet, you know, if we're reading our Bible and we're paying attention and not just scanning the, the words and looking at the picture of the words and then assuming that we understood and grasped it, uh, if we're looking at the words and, and reading them, and understanding them and trying to understand them and meditating on them and gnawing on them like a lion gnaws on a bone to get all the meat off of it. Uh, and if that's what we're doing, then we have to put two and two together to make four here, guys, and say Solomon wrote books of the Bible. You know, and the, I think it's, it's much easier for us to come to terms with Paul being single and unmarried and writing most of the New Testament. Uh, but, you know, and, and King Solomon, he's not uh, the exception uh, in, in the uh, Old Testament. You know, a number of the biblical patriarchs had multiple wives. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. And he got in trouble for uh, murdering Uriah the Hittite, who was a faithful servant of his, for taking Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. He got in trouble for that. Uh, not because it was polygamy. He got in trouble because it was murder and it was adultery, right? Uh, but you, I, I, uh, I challenge you to point out uh, where in the rest of the narrative of David or any of those guys, uh, they were rebuked by God for having taken more than one wife. Now, someone will say... Again, God's ideal is one man, one woman for life, and 
We see that uh, implicitly in the case of uh, Adam and Eve. God doesn't create Adam and Eve and Janice and April. And, you know, like he doesn't give Adam uh, a bunch of wives. He gives him one wife. Um, I don't think that's a super strong argument, uh, if I may say so, um, arguing from silence. Uh, you, you can say, uh, you know, on the other hand, too, you know, just because there are men in the, in the Bible uh, that have multiple wives, uh, you know, that that doesn't mean that it's a good thing that we should go and do. It's not prescriptive. You know, just because uh, Solomon has, uh, you know, this request he's allowed to make of God, he asks for wisdom to be able to govern his people well. And then he uh, is given that wisdom from God. Uh, that doesn't mean that when he goes and, and marries 700 wives and, and has 300 concubines, that if we go and do likewise, then, then we're also going to be super wise, be writing wisdom literature for the New Testament or anything like that. Uh, you know, the, the presence of the examples uh, does not in and of itself give us a command or a prohibition. Uh, but, you know, we do have in the New Testament, for instance, the qualifications for an overseer and a deacon are, they must be the husband of one wife. And I think that does tell us something that, you know, this is the ideal. This is what God wants us to be about. Uh, you know, but that, I, I note again, as I said earlier, you know, we don't see, uh, you know, anything like what uh, the Roman church made a practice of or, or made it a policy of or if, if they were uh, able to convert somebody who was polygamous uh, they would require that uh, a polygamous man had to put away all but one of his wives or else he was uh, committing adultery so he had to just pick one you know the uh, the u.s government actually did something similar and this is something i discussed with uh, the mormon that asked me what, what do you think of polygamy uh, because his grandmother actually had been one of multiple wives and uh, she i don't i think he said she ended up being put away she was not the wife that was chosen but you know here she's got a bunch of kids and these other wives have a bunch of kids and the husband is going to pick one of those women and, and and sets of kids uh with which to live and to reside and all that and, and then you know th these other women and their children are going to have to set up home somewhere else and there's, that's going to be expensive, you know, uh, a logistical challenge and a financial challenge. But that was what uh, the U.S. government uh, required. You know, they, they made a, a law of it uh, in, in response to the Mormon church. Uh, you know, we don't see uh, a, a similar thing in the scriptures. We don't, we don't see God doing that. Uh, with these men that he has a relationship with in the Old Testament, saying, in order to have a relationship with me, you're going to have to pick one and put the rest of them away. This is not cool. Um, I note also, too, this is, uh, you know, a, on a related note, you know, here, uh, same-sex marriage was uh, made, quote-unquote, the law of the land, and that's such a farce, uh, given that it, it, we say that, uh, from a Supreme Court ruling, somehow, you know, is able to find rights. You know, I, I don't understand how it is that the Supreme Court 
is able to find rights, and these liberal politicians are able to find rights uh, in the Constitution and in the Bill of Rights uh, to uh, get married to somebody of your own gender or to have abortions. Uh, but somehow, you know, they... <laughs> They can't read, uh, you know, things like the Second Amendment or the First Amendment, rights to free speech, rights to bear arms. Uh, they can't read that objectively and see that we have a right to actually say what we think. Uh, so they come up with political correctness and then they, they punish people and try to drive them out of town and, and, and ruin their businesses if they say things that um, they object to, the, the progressives object to. You know, they, they can find uh, rights to get contraceptives for free from the government or right to free healthcare from the government or right to free college from the government. But somehow they can't see the right to keep and bear arms in the second amendment. I, I don't see what you're talking about. Um, they, we must not be reading the same constitution is, is all I can figure. But anyway, I, I find it remarkable that American Christianity, uh, Western Christianity had this sudden light bulb clicking on moment with regards to, uh, homosexuality in, in modern times with the LGBT movement uh, working rapidly in every sector and every sphere to drive out what they term bigotry. But, uh, you know, it, if the Bible calls something a sin, if, they, if God says, uh, do not do that, anybody who practices this is an abomination. Uh, this is evil. This is perverse. This is immoral. Don't do it. Uh, you know, if God says that, and if we you know, we're trying to preach the gospel and we're trying to tell people, hey, repent. You know, uh, you have a sin problem and you need a Jesus. Uh, you, you need the uh, atoning work of God's only begotten son to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, to make you right with God uh, so that you can be forgiven, so that you can have eternal life, etc., etc. You know, if, if we're telling people that, but we're not allowed to tell them what God says uh his standard is and, and what violates that standard when, when God says, do not do this, or when God says, do this, you know, we're not allowed to say that because it uh, is now going to be termed bigotry. Boy, I, I hearken back to uh, something I mentioned in my last podcast. You know, we must obey God rather than men and damn the torpedoes. You know what, whatever the consequences might be, uh, Jesus tells us, uh, do not fear man. Who can only kill the body and then has nothing more he can do to you. But uh, you know, in, in the case of the the church, uh, liberal churches uh, somehow finding in the scriptures uh, this new right to gay marriage and this new responsibility not only to not condemn homosexuality and and other uh, pet sexual immorality of. Uh, uh, you know, the LGBT movement, which is now going to include pedophilia, by the way, just, just so you know, that there's serious talk of adding P to the LGBTQ. Um, they're going to have the whole alphabet in there before we know it. But you know, these liberal churches, they could find uh, same-sex marriage in there, even though God makes it absolutely abundant clear. He, he is mysterious about some things and he's vague about other things. Jesus taught in parables. But God is not mysterious. He is not indirect, vague, uh, or beating around the bush when uh, he says uh, that homosexuality is immoral, that it's an abomination. Uh, you know, isn't that remarkable? We had that discussion. We evolved uh, in the West 
culturally, socially, and in many churches, theologically, uh, they they see it as evolving in their position. I see it as them descending into heresy and letting Satan, you know, Satan take the wheel uh, to twist the Carrie Underwood song. Uh, it's not Jesus take the wheel, it's Satan take the wheel. Uh, and don't be surprised when, when he drives your church off of a cliff into apostasy and every kind of uh, evil and insanity. But it, it's remarkable to me that there was a debate about that and the laws changed about that and what can be said about uh, people uh, if they choose that kind of a lifestyle, homosexuality, uh, bisexuality, transgenderism. Uh, what can be said about those things is uh, even among those that have the courage to still uh, what uh, object we're still picking our words very carefully uh, because you, you don't want to say something that's a little bit stronger than it should have been at the wrong time the wrong place to the wrong person and then find out you're out of a job and you can't get another one and you're all over the news and you're getting taken to court being fined Etc. Etc. And yet, you know, I, I find it remarkable here. I watched this uh, video that a, a friend of mine shared with me yesterday, and it's you know this extreme love, quote unquote, uh, Facebook page, and they're talking about this pastor who is violating. He's explicitly violating the qualifications that Paul gives for overseers and deacons to Timothy and Titus. But, you know, this guy's walking around, uh, some, it looks like a state fair, county fair, uh, carnival, something like that, with his two wives. And, uh, and the, the people uh, shooting this uh, show, this program, are going up and they're interviewing uh, just random strangers, you know, who, who are observing them. Hey, what do you think of that? This, this pastor has two wives. What, what do you think about that? And uh, they don't uh, they don't get any... Uh, ambiguous responses. Uh, they get, uh, you know, that's sick. That's ridiculous. What's wrong? You know, that's, man, you know, one guy objects that uh, there's such an age difference. He, he thinks that's really creepy and weird, you know, because the, the guy is 60 and then the, the, the second wife he's taken is 19 and she's pregnant. Yeah, that's weird. That's gross. Uh, you know, but you know our, we're we're heading uh, in a direction as a culture, in which uh, that you know if you if you're, you're logically consistent, you think it through from the uh, beginning, the, where where we're at, where we've been, and how far it's come and where it's going, uh, you know that would I presume be bigotry for someone to say that's sick, that's gross, you're you know da da da. Yeah, there, there is no longer a uh, an objective standard, and so people are just—they're really just emoting—is is what it is. You know, I didn't—I didn't see anybody in that little eight-minute, whatever it was, segment saying this is wrong because God says it's wrong. I didn't see them referring to what Paul writes. You know, hey, you're a pastor, you're an overseer, you're not qualified <laughs> because you've taken a second wife. You—you you have to. Step down now. Uh, nobody says that, uh, but they should have. Uh, you know, a lack of biblical literacy, a lack of uh, faith, a lack of uh, integrity, a lack of courage. Uh, all of those things are uh, reasons why 
this is not being said in that segment and you're just getting people's emotions on on both sides both for and against the people that are for it well you know what i wouldn't do that but that's you know if that's what makes them happy uh you know just do whatever makes you happy whatever makes you feel good okay uh you are not your own you were bought with a price uh, i believe is is relevant here you know we do not belong to ourselves where we can just do whatever if God created us, God rules over the universe. If God uh, is the one who makes the rules that we're playing by, and if he's going to judge whether we uh, played uh, properly, if we lived life according to the purpose he gave us, uh, and if deviating from his commands, if disobeying his commands is uh, a sin that we can be judged for, uh, maybe, maybe, just maybe, we need to look a little higher than uh, if it feels good, do it. Uh, because when, once you've uh, established that as your standard, as uh, as your uh, way of determining what is a fair game and what is out of bounds, if it feels good, you know, if that makes you happy, anything goes. Absolutely anything goes. Uh, this is not, you know, to be clear, this is not to say that... Uh, you know, we, we derive from that that uh, polygamy should be illegal or that it is a sin or, or what have you. Uh, but where God has spoken, wisdom, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom would be uh, we listen <laughs> and we, we obey to the best of our abilities. Uh, thank God for grace to, to make up for the difference between our abilities and, and uh, what his standard is. But... You know, wisdom would be that we listen when God says that's the qualification for an overseer and a deacon. Uh, if you don't meet it, then you shouldn't be an overseer or a deacon in Christ's church. That's pretty basic. Sorry, not, <laughs> not trying to oversimplify it, but uh, the alternative is lawlessness. Right. Uh, you know, so also, too, uh, I think it's remarkable that. Here we've had this uh, revolution in terms of morality, uh, which has walked away from the Bible and what God said as a, an objective standard of right and wrong, of good and evil, of truth and falsehood in the church. And uh, and then we've uh, found a, a multitude of ways to affirm or else uh, ignore homosexuality, that sin, to turn a blind eye to it, find ways to uh, soothe the egos of those who uh, have chosen that as their lifestyle, that that's going to be their identity now. But, uh, you know, why isn't it that before that, you know, if, if, the, if the churches, you know, liberal churches, if their goal was uh, to, to be authentic, to, to get at what did God mean by what he said, or what does he actually say, you know, hey, there's no prohibition on this in the Bible, you know, so it must be okay, and they just love each other. You know, why didn't uh, the liberal churches, why, if they weren't just being led around by their nose, uh, by godless people who just wanted what they wanted, you know, devoid of sense and reason and, and good taste, uh, why didn't those liberal churches start with polygamy? Because, uh, you know, there's no prohibitions on uh, polygamy explicitly stated, and there are explicit prohibitions on homosexuality. And God's very, very clear about that. It is an abomination to him. Um, 
you know, God has a relationship with patriarchs in the Old Testament, kings, uh, etc., who have more than one wife. Uh, there's not a single one, not a single character in the Old or New Testament who is presented as having lived a life of homosexuality, where we're told that that is uh, the way he even formerly was, much less the way he is during his relationship with God as God is calling him to do things and to live for him, go and, and be his messenger or minister or leader or whatever for his people. Uh, not a single one. And, uh, and so that, you know, if we can find ways to affirm and, uh, and at least tolerate that homosexuality is now a thing in the church uh, and that, you know, and some churches even ordaining homosexuals. Uh, you know, it, it's just remarkable to me if we would freak out about uh, polygamy with what the Bible says. I think our first priority should be to consider what the Bible actually says. What does it not say? What does it mean by what it says? And to go from there. So in closing for this topic, or at least for this episode about this topic, uh, you know, a couple of things I, I want to mention, you know, well, one is in answer to the question that, uh, that Mormon asked me, uh, what is your opinion on polygamy to put it very, uh, short and sweet to the point. Uh, I do not believe that polygamy is a sin, uh, you know, in order for it to rise to the level of a sin, in my mind, there has to be uh, a command against it in the scriptures. Uh, God needs to make that um, a little bit more uh, obvious and clear and prohibit it. And uh, the fact that he has relationship with um, many men in the Old Testament, especially uh, who are polygamous, uh, and does not at any point that I can recall comment on it and say, hey, you guys need to knock that off. I can't uh, can't keep this up. I'm holy and righteous and, and you're behaving wickedly by having more than one wife. The fact that that doesn't happen and that isn't a part of any of the narratives uh, of his relationship with the people of the Old Testament, uh, I think is telling. Um, I think also, too, you know, for someone to say, well, it's a taboo and it's against the law. And so therefore, let's just not get into it. it. You know, yeah, maybe it's not a sin, but, you know, let's just, we should just stay out of all that. Um, you know, that's, that's fine to a point. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, you know, the LGBT agenda, uh, the progressive reshaping of society, uh, it, it tells us that this is not going to be a taboo for much longer. Uh, at least if, if uh, we're logically consistent in uh, adopting this anything goes as long as you just love somebody you know love is love uh, mentality then why wouldn't it apply to uh, the, the people that want to be polygamous um, you know I'll say too I, I question uh, the uh, moral high ground of uh, most uh, Americans most American Christians who on the one hand uh, have found a way to tolerate uh, homosexuality in the church and uh, you know who but even before that and and arguably as a precursor to that uh, who have tolerated uh, high divorce rates and remarriage rates in the church 
you know, what is it, 50% thereabouts of uh, American marriages end in divorce. And, uh, you know, I, I question, right? This is just a, this is a question for you to ponder. And I'm not pretending to have a, a, a definitive answer right now, though I have a leaning. Uh, you know, which, which do you think uh, bothers God more based on what we read in the scriptures? Does it bother God more if uh, you have you know, somebody who's married and then they take a second wife or third wife, as happens uh, very often? Again, in the Old Testament, these characters that we're reading about that are heroes of the faith, God has a relationship with, uh, he uses, he works with, he talks with, uh, you know, is that does that bother God more uh, than if, say, you know, a person in in today's uh, church, uh, they say, you know what, I just I'm I'm it's not working. Me and my spouse, uh, they just drive me crazy. They're not very nice. I, I don't like the way that they look at me anymore. I don't feel uh, the passion I used to. I don't feel uh, happy. Uh, whatever the reason is, and there's a, a, an endless variety of reasons, some of them are actually legitimate. Uh, you know, if there's, uh, let's say, uh, abuse, uh, you know, and, and Jesus says, he points back when they ask him about uh, divorce, he points back to uh, the, the law of Moses, which says that, you know, in the case of adultery, yeah, you can you can get divorced. That's a legitimate reason. You, your spouse cheats on you. You are permitted to divorce them. You don't have to stick around for that, uh, you know. And and someone will will point out and they'll say, "Well, wait a second, you know, isn't it cheating if uh, somebody takes a second uh, spouse?" And you know, if they, you know, say, uh, you know, think of a, an Old Testament patriarch, um, you know, Jacob, you know, Jacob having uh, what four wives. You know, is that was, was that cheating on the first one when he took the second and the third and the fourth? Um, you know, if so, if that if that is adultery or if that's considered adultery, uh, it is uh, it's odd to me that that is not explicitly condemned at some point and that it isn't punished. Um, you know, the closest thing, and this is this is my my flip side, uh, and this is what I told the the Mormon as well. Uh, the flip side is, you know, yes, I don't think that uh, you know, we can make a case that uh, polygamy is a sin, but uh, is it wise? <laughs> you know, there, there's a whole other category uh, besides just uh, righteousness and unrighteousness, and that there's also wisdom and folly. And uh, how then shall we live? Not as unwise, but as as wise. Uh, you, you know, you look at uh, just the the family dynamics of the men who are polygamous in the Old Testament. And uh, I'm at a loss to think of one situation where there, there's multiple wives for one man, where it's not dysfunctional, where you don't have uh, at least the children of the wives in uh, fierce competition uh, sometimes even murderous competition with one another for uh, their, their father's favor. Then uh, you also have the wives being uh, cruel or, or, uh, or mean to one another, and then you have strife in the home based on that. Uh, just 
uh, it, you know, speaking for myself, as I think about, you know, a hypothetical scenario, if I were putting myself in the shoes of some of these men and you've got your wives and your children from these different wives, uh, fighting and bickering with each other. I just think about how my children, uh, bicker as it is all being from the same mother. Uh, you know, it, it is stressful. And then if you, I, I can only imagine it would be more extreme, more severe, more dramatic uh, in, in a situation like that. Uh, you know, that, you know, maybe is, is, again, it's, you know, similar to the argument from silence where, uh, you know, maybe that's not the strongest argument. Uh, but, but there again, I'm not, I'm not arguing that it is uh, a sin. I'm arguing that it's, uh, it's not advisable. It's not necessarily the wisest course of action uh if you can <laughs> if you could avoid that um but you know on the other hand too i mean you could say hey i think it should continue to be illegal i don't think that uh, any of the laws should change uh, with regards to that topic because it is foolish well you know that's a topic for another day but just to just to, you know start to open that can of worms a little bit here at the end of this episode uh, you know, should we make illegal everything that is foolish uh, or everything that we think is not uh, well advised? Uh, I don't think so. I, uh, I'm not in favor of that. I don't think everything that is, is a bad idea or that we think is a bad idea should be illegal. Uh, or else, uh, very quickly, you get the kind of government, the kind of uh, country, the kind of state, the, the kind of uh, tyran- tyranny. It's, it, you get a tyrannical, uh, overbearing, uh, centrally planned society where you, you're no longer allowed to uh, do anything that uh, the, the, the central committee of bureaucrats uh, have decided is, uh, is distasteful or is not for the good of society or it's not, you know, they, they decide what's best for you. Uh, you know, that's that's not uh the kind of thinking that we want to have, I don't believe, uh, about how we make laws, what laws we pass, what laws we keep, how we enforce laws, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, uh, you know, moving from that too, I mean, apart from the, the legislative uh, response uh, to, you know, polygamous uh, couples or, or whatever, polygamous families, uh, you know, I think theologically, uh, whether you know there is a, a future in which you know, hey, we've got rising populations of uh, Muslims in America and Europe, and uh, how are we going to respond if we come across uh, a Muslim who wants to convert to Christianity, but they have multiple wives? How are we going to respond to that? Uh, you know, an, another uh, maybe not considered uh, question is how do you uh, do something about this uh, welfare scamming that I've heard uh, is uh, common in the Muslim communities where they, uh, off the official state records, they have multiple wives because in their countries, it's totally legal. It's not it's not frowned on. It's not taboo at all. And also, they think that it is their mission from God to have as many babies as possible. They've, uh, in many cases, immigrated to the European and America uh, countries because they are trying to conquer them uh, through immigration. And once they get there and they have, uh, you know, they, they, they will try to marry a, a couple of Western women. They're going to take some wives uh, out of the uh, 
uh, mix for us. <laughs> and uh, and then they're going to have as many babies as they possibly can. But they're only going to have one wife officially on the records. And then with uh, their local mosque or their local religious community, then they'll have uh, other marriages that are on the books where they're recognized as the, the husband and the father and the, the authority in those situations. But then, uh, you know, the, those other extra wives, they can uh, file for welfare uh, benefits. And so then the, the government, the state, ends up supporting uh, this uh, kind of jihad being waged against the West. Now, if you were to uh, do something about uh, not only welfare reform, but also reforming uh, the laws regarding marriage uh, in these countries, and then uh, you know you you either uh, deport uh, these people, <laughs> uh, or um, you you go in and you you check their records, and then you you do surveillance. You make sure, hey, looks like uh, you are married to like five women, and you're going to have to support them now. Uh, the, the government doesn't have to support you and your five wives and your 4,000 children. You know, you have to support them. Um, that would maybe dampen a little bit of the enthusiasm of, of uh, some of these men to have so many wives and so many children, uh, especially when they're, they're doing it in, I would argue, a malicious way, uh, a way that is designed to collapse our uh, political systems and uh, to, to colonize us from within. But, uh, you know, so there's there's that issue uh, of, uh, of, you know, practical problems as uh, Muslims become more and more of a population. Uh, how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to keep that illegal and not recognize it, even though it's happening? Uh, but we just refuse to uh, call it what it is, uh, even at, at our cost. Um, I think that's not sustainable. I think also, too, uh, you know, what what happens if you have. Uh, one of these Muslim families, I don't know if this is likely, but you have a Muslim family, a man who's married to uh, two or more wives who converts to Christianity. Uh, are we going to tell him, uh, hey, in order to be part of this church, in order to attend, you're going to have to put away uh, one or more of the, your wives, pare it down, uh, pick one. Um, you know, if so, you know, maybe we're following uh, precedent in American uh, political history. Uh, we're, we're definitely following uh, Roman Catholic precedent, but I don't believe, uh, unless someone wants to show me to the contrary, don't believe we're, we're following biblical precedent. And so I think we need to mentally prepare for that uh, future, that potential uh, hypothetical, and, and study. And, uh, and, and besides all of that, I think we need to have an answer uh, for the LGBT pro uh, people and the atheists who are going to ask, "Hey, what about that?" Uh, you know, and not not have some goofy answer where we're saying things that contradict the scriptures or that are totally baseless, uh, just because we're we're making it up. We don't know any better. But we should study. We should think. Uh, we should be honest about it, and we should be willing to to look at what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. Uh, objectively. So uh, anyway, that is uh, all I have to say for today on the topic of polygamy. Uh, feel free to email me at garrettmullet at gmail.com if you have any comments, observations. You can look me up on Facebook as well, Garrett Ashley Mullet. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, but I don't check that as often because I'm obviously a little longer winded than Twitter uh, <laughs> constrains people to. Uh, and then you can also look me up on uh, 
uh, Instagram, uh, YouTube, uh, Google Plus. I don't check very often, but I have a Google Plus. Anyway, if you have any comments, something to add, uh, if you think I'm totally off base, please message me or uh, leave something in the comments. If you like this podcast, uh, please listen to more. Uh, make sure if you're objecting to anything in this particular episode, I would encourage you, you know, make sure you listened to the entire thing so that you really did grasp uh, all of what I was saying about the subject and what I'm not saying. Right? Don't, don't go putting words in my mouth. Uh, but yeah, stay, stay tuned uh, for future episodes. I'd like to tackle more things like this, uh, where we're, we're asking, Hey, what about that? What does God's word actually say about that? Looking at those, those issues, honestly. And uh, if you care for that kind of, uh, commentary, uh, please hit subscribe on whatever your favorite, uh, podcast platform is and, uh, stay tuned. <laughs>